Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, I've got uh, Tom. Uh, Tom is a friend of mine. He's the owner of PhysioQuest and he he's a master's degree holder in um, physiotherapy. But not only is he book smart and uh, knows his stuff on, on that side of things, he actually has applied it uh, extensively over the years because he used to compete in, in powerlifting. He still trains. Uh, and he also um, is involved heavily in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So he understands the demands of, of sport, uh, especially, you know, higher impact sport, sports where injury is fairly prevalent, uh, such as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, such as powerlifting. And, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that will never tell you, uh, don't train, you know, as soon as you get... Um, um, as soon as you get injured, he won't just tell you don't train. He'll figure out a way for you to be able to do something and and still be able to uh, come back from uh, from your injury. Uh, anyway, very knowledgeable guy, uh, knows his stuff. Uh, he's very switched on and has some very good insights in regards to um, rehab, movement, and approaches to um, movement correction and stuff like that. I'll let him do the talking from here on out. Tom, thanks for ha- coming on uh, this uh, this episode. I've been wanting to get uh, get somebody like you on here for a while for a couple of stuff. But uh, yeah, how you going? Everything good? Yeah, good, mate. Yourself? It's good to be on here. Definitely, I've listened yeah, to yeah, a few good. Um, for sure. I listened to the Dan Baker one recently. All very good. Uh, enjoy the yeah. Book. I mean, you you yourself uh, um, obviously um, heavy into your own training. I've been training for a long time, but um, uh, your background being physiotherapy and 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 also like you know uh, sporting background, both powerlifting and combat sports. So speaking of which, actually, I won't do the rec- I won't do the interaction. I'll let you do it because you're going to do it better than I would. So why don't you tell uh, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about your background is in regards to uh, how you got into physiotherapy, how long you been doing it for, and then uh, sporting backgrounds and and uh, things like that. Um. So. Uh, been doing physiotherapy now, I think, five, five years. Um, mm-hmm. So, mum's a physio, she's a, but she's a pediatric physio. She works with kids, uh, specifically at Westmead Children's with cerebral palsy. But I think just the fact that she uh, was in physiotherapy drew my interest there. But I always preferred a lot uh, of the sporting side of things. So, I think that always drew me more away from like working with children, more working with athletes or just musculoskeletal um, in general. Like I love watching sport for sure. So it's it's awesome to get to work within that realm. Um, and physiotherapy was just the path I, I went down. I originally started at doing exercise physiology, didn't enjoy it that much, and then went through and then went into the Bachelor of Exercise and Sports Science. So getting that um, understanding of, of exercise and sport uh, before going into physiotherapy and doing the masters there, which I think was better, because uh, you get a more well-rounded understanding of how, especially with sport, how uh, the body the body works from an energy system point of view, periodization point of view, like how to create a strong athlete or what demands they might be under for their sport. So how to incorporate that into your physiotherapy. Um, and yep, did the masters. And then in terms of my own training, I did – I was doing powerlifting at Donuts Athletics 
when? When I think it was like seven, eight. Yeah, back back when it was at the original location. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So learned a fair bit doing the powerlifting. Um, I think I did it for about three years, four years competitively. Uh, Definitely learned a lot about how to make someone strong. Uh, Was good environment at uh, Adonis Athletics, and you know, um, always learning. And seeing the seeing the actual programming helped heaps, um, and then from there I sort of went more in towards combat sports or Brazilian Jiu Jitsu because I wanted to see how I could apply the strength, you know. And um, yeah, went in, competed uh, at white belt, went to blue belt, and then I had a an injury, so I had broken ankle. Um, phased out a little bit and then and then got back into it, uh, and even more so recently. Um, yeah, you're back in now, right? You're yes. Getting back into it. No, just need to Good get time. in some wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta come down for that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, by the way, how is that ankle injury now since then? Because I remember it was pretty bad. Um, how did how did you do it in the first place? It was it was at a comp or was it in training in jujitsu? I yeah, remember it was one of in, those in training in um, jujitsu. So we we're just doing stand up stuff. Um, yeah, and uh, one of the guys tried to take me down. My foot stayed in one place, my body went the other way. So nice dislocated my ankle. Um, so it was a, a syndesmosis injury and fractured fibula. It was it was it was yeah. It's hard to dislocate your ankle, and I, I did it. He he was a lot heavier than me, <laughs> so I think that's what helped it. And I don't have the thickest ankles, thing or calves. That's that probably genetic. Huge, I think man. it was it was a weird experience. Like um, I I heard I heard it, uh, mm. and then I remember thinking, was that crack my ankle or me or was it him? And there was this gap of five seconds. Where I wasn't sure, and then I looked down, and then I saw my ankle, and I was like, "Okay." Was it was like definitely- ninety degrees <laughs> to your body? Was it like that, <laughs> like in a cartoon? About, about forty, about forty-five. It was, it was there. It like kind of and it pop, popped in with. Yeah, it was. It, it was. It was a decent injury. Um, so with that, <laughs> with the high ankle sprains, like I, I think I had the surgery the following day. Um, was fortunate enough to work with. Para Eels reserve grade, so I knew the Para Eels sports doctor, and he got me in the next morning and operated on on my ankle. Um, so it was a quick turnaround, but yeah, like uh, it was good. Couldn't couldn't walk on it for ten weeks, you know. Had to let everything heal and then slowly mm-hmm. get back into it. And it probably took, I could still, yeah, it probably took about a year to feel completely normal. But there's still times where mm-hmm. it feels a little bit. Uh, um, but I think that's whenever you have those bigger yeah, injuries, man, I mean, like you can understand you, it. When you uh, put your ankle at a 45-degree angle to where it's supposed to be, uh, it's not going to be the exact same ever again, you know? No, so, no, no. I'm sure you're not so, yourself. But uh, it's good that you have this guy's function, you know? You're back into it and yeah, uh, yeah. back into training, back into back into the jiu-jitsu and stuff like that. So, um, I think that's the, that's the main thing, especially after you have a bigger injury getting back into the stuff mm. that you did before, especially the things that you were doing uh, where you injured it. Because I find yeah. mentally if your confidence is low after an injury, um, mm. yeah, it definitely affects you in the long run. Like uh, 
especially yeah, I psychologically mean, there's, there's certain well, injuries yeah. where it becomes more of a thing. Um, like say, mm. like a, for an ACL injury, for example, you know, confidence. If the confidence is poor uh, in their rehab when they go back to sport, they have an increased chance of another rupture by like 100, 200 percent, something ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, just yeah, that's an interesting that one as back. well because uh, it's, it's the confidence, in, you know, the psychological impact of um, previous injury on re-injury. Yeah. Um, in in you know all aspects, all all sports across the board, uh, and and part of the role of the physio, um, the the strength and conditioning coach, the strength coach, whatever is is to uh, bring that confidence back, uh, which can Definitely. be very hard and it can be very long, it can be a long process. Um, but uh, it's, it's such an overlooked factor with, um, you know, especially newer guys and girls uh, who, who play that role of the physio or the, or the strength coach or, um, uh, you know, just that particular role in general. Because first of all, as it is, in, in the earlier days when you have somebody new, and I say this all the time is you want to, one of the main things you want to do is get confidence up, get the confidence of the athlete up as much as you can in as many ways as you can uh, so that they're uh, continuously succeeding in training. And uh, one of the things that can really shatter confidence is an injury because every time you do a movement, there's pain. Every time you want to do something, there's pain. And so, yeah, after a while you start to associate these things these move everything, everything that you do um, with pain, and uh, you start to lose confidence in uh, what you can do in the in your positional strength and stuff like that. Uh, what what are your what are your experiences with with stuff like that? How do you um, help rebuild that confidence after an injury? I think understanding the person or the athlete is vital i find like you know athlete b or that sorry athlete a versus athlete b they'll, they'll have a difference in their personality and how they respond to feedback or how they perceptualize their own pain do they see it as harmful or they that kind of personality that goes you know we've got to push through pain to get better it seems very different between each person um and that's not just with lifting athletes everything even you know from young to old so trying to figure out what their personality is like um, or how they respond to your feedback so you know that you can educate them best about pain. I think the education is, is a big thing, um, especially in those athletes that have been experiencing uh, pain for quite a while and understanding um, the pain is not always a bad thing um, and you can uh, sometimes expect pain through through exercise and it's not it's not harmful it's just um, either it could be a whole bunch of things it could be just you're a bit sensitized because um, you've had pain there for so long it could be just a poor movement pattern you're not doing any damage it's just you could make your movement a little bit better or you're bracing a little bit better um, so i find trying to educate them about pain in general based off mm -hmm. how they respond um, what's good pain, what's uh, maybe see if you can change it around uh, kind of pain and what's pain you want to avoid with exercise. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it's just, it's like, it's like anything. Like whenever you do a program, you know, say graded um, increase or graded exposure, it's the same with those um, aggravating activities or 
going into return to sport break down the movement how do you make it uh how do you break down that movement to make it a little bit easier you know if it's yeah a deep squat where they get pain well how can we change that can we change the bar path can we change uh, the depth change the weight um to keep them moving if it's you know a bigger injury like a I'll use example again like acl returning to sport returning to mm-hmm. running um, how do we break down running you know what are some jumping progressions we can do um how can we build them up over time um build yeah. up their exposure and their resilience um and always through the whole process you're continually educating the whole time yeah um, and trying yeah. to have that open dialogue with your with the person that you're working with and making sure you know they understand what's going on and that you as a as a coach or a physio know how they're feeling um, and it's a team it's a team effort it's not just um, me telling someone what to do you know it's got to be that collaborative mm. experience or that mm. um, to make sure that they yeah they can train all the way through back from an injury um, with or without pain during the whole rehab process yeah it's it's uh, exactly like you know lifting in of itself where you're just breaking down things into bite-sized pieces that we know they can handle yeah. maybe just outside their comfort zone but if we know that if they put their mind to it it's something that they can handle and then that gives them a confidence because they're like okay i, I couldn't uh, walk before now i can walk you know then then maybe in a week or so time they walk faster or mm. they they do a little hop or something like that and uh they start to see that it's success after success after success of all these progressions from one stage to the other. And uh, that can really um, play a huge part psychologically in, in getting them um, more confident. And yeah. um, it's, that confidence is huge, man, because um, this is a story, this is a true story. And uh, I don't know if I've told this story before on the podcast to, to those people listening, uh, but you may actually know about this story. So do you remember um, – do you remember that uh, uh, semi-pro soccer player who used to train with us, Milan? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. So for, for you guys listening, um, back in the days, we had this OG member. Um, his name was uh, Milan, this uh, Serbian soccer player, uh, <clears throat> who actually I'm still in touch with, by the way. Shout out Milan if he's listening to this. Um, super competitive guy, very good soccer player. Used to – he – um, grew up in, in obviously in Europe, played around uh, heaps of the clubs there, um, very nearly became professional uh, in Europe, I'm talking about. Uh, then he had come in, uh, come to Australia to, to pursue the career, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Uh, the point is, um, I don't know if you remember this. So he was trying out for the A-League when he came here and um, – during gameplay, um, his knee was hurting, and uh, you know he just suspected that it's a, like a LCL um, injury or something like that. Yeah. So he went and got a scan, and the scan by accident, or you know, not by accident, it, it just so happened that the scan showed that he didn't have an ACL in both his knees. He had <laughs> torn the ACL yeah, yeah. in both yeah. his knees. And he had been. This had been for a while, right? Yeah. And it's not not just recently. So for years, he was playing with no ACL in both knees. 
and he was going for slight tackles. Like I, w- I was, I would play with him, you know, and I would go to like uh, play indoor, indoor football um, with mates and stuff like that. He would go for slight tackles, change direction, everything. Um, but because he was firstly so strong, like he used to take his training super seriously, uh, as you remember, um, his legs were very strong, hamstrings very strong. And, and so, you know, and you weigh in on this, uh, if, uh, if you think otherwise, I think because of that, the structure around his knee, the knee joint was obviously much more secure, uh, held together much better. And, um, that combined with the fact that he had, he didn't know just had, he had that confidence that there's not, nothing even wrong with his knee. So he would go in for slight tackles. He'll go in for yeah. change of directions and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, until he basically found out and then, um, then he, he, he got a reconstruction done once he found out because he was so still he, so he ended his, up getting his career very seriously. Yeah. He, he, in fact, this crazy motherfucker, he got both ACLs done on the same surgery. So he didn't wait <laughs> until one heals and then go and do the other leg. Get he got both, both of them once. done in the one surgery, both together. <laughs> and man, he was back on the field like not not long after, you know, a couple of months. Uh, he he took his uh, rehab super seriously. I've never seen anybody take their rehabs that seriously. Like yeah. it was like a religion, basically. Well, they uh, to He just wanted to get back on the field, you know. When they yeah. do everything. Well, you know, is it, uh, you know, you get you get certain particular athletes, a particular mentality. You know, you, it's hard to explain it. You can't really teach it. Uh, some people are like that. Some people are not. But he was definitely one of those. Um, so, you know, just just goes to show the importance of confidence uh, in in uh, being able to return from injury or even play with an injury. You know, well, it's quite quite interesting that he um, he went through all of that and he still ended up getting the surgery. Like. Uh, Mm. So he he had no issues at all, but then until he found out, or or he, yeah. he started to get sore. I mean, there's all this research now starting to come through, um, particularly with that injury. There's so much research on ACL injuries because athletes miss so much time mm. that the club loses money. So more money is funded towards those big injuries for them to do more research. So there's thousands of papers every year done on on this particular injury. But they're finding out more that possibly people can cope without it, um, based off you know whether you know they have pain in their knee, if they feel unstable, um, how's their strength? Like you were saying, he was very strong, um, everywhere like quads, hamstrings, glutes. Um, mm. Yeah, That's like it, man. It, yeah, like it, more and more they're going. Okay, well, well, do you actually need it? So it's interesting that he went through that whole time, super confident. And then, um, then he found out, and then he ended up having the surgery. Yeah, I can't remember the exact reasoning, like his reasoning at the time behind why he did it. I assume it's because you know he was pursuing uh, his career properly, so he wanted to make sure that his knees don't hold him back yeah. later on. So, yeah. and you know, he was obviously as you get older and older, if he has to get it later, his recovery time is going to be longer. And you know, while he's probably thinking, while I'm young, I'll recover faster, and I haven't actually yeah. made it into a team yet. Uh, I can just uh, do it now, recover from it, and then uh, continue um, my trials and stuff like that. Um, so yeah. Um, anyway, uh, that was that was like a something that just stuck in my it stuck out in my mind from when you. I remember that actually as well. I, um, you you told me that he had both 
no ACLs in, in either knee and he, and he was competing mm. at such a high level. Um, speaking of pain, what's, what's really interesting is uh, pain science and, and just even you know, on a more basic level, pushing through pain. So, uh, look, anybody listening to this is probably training on some serious level, on some at least semi-serious level. Mm. And when you're training and pushing your body to, to, the, to its limits, uh, you know, train, taking your training seriously, you are going to very likely have days, you know, on regular basis, you're going to walk into the gym with some sort of a niggle or some sort of a pain during, during exercise. So some of us who, who have been doing it for longer and longer understand that it's just part of the game, so to speak, and uh, we've learned to intuitively push past certain things and then not push past other things that maybe don't feel so well. So what is an actual guideline or something like that that we can follow, people out there listening to this can follow, to know when do they know when, when they feel a particular pain, is that bad? Should they stop? Should they keep going? Uh, should they keep going but pay attention to something? When is pain good? When is pain bad? How, how do we know when when alarm bells should be going off? Well, I think it, it's a good question because, I mean, like you said, the more experience you become as a uh, in training or the longer training years you have, you do have niggles, right? Um, 100%, you're going to have some sort of pain when you're – when you're training and understanding what's okay pain and what's maybe uh, pain that you, you want to be avoiding um, is important uh, because if you didn't train because you felt a little bit of pain, you would never train. You just because you, you you'd, you'd always have some sort of little niggle there. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, for for me, the first thing would be breaking down. Okay, well, why do I have this pain? So you know. If the athlete or the person can pin it to a specific thing um, that's happened, say, for example, if we keep it uh, with barbell uh, sports, like if you know they're, they're doing their deadlifting uh, one rep max, for example, and they feel sudden onset of, of uh, intense back pain or, or pain that refers out um, from the area where, where the injury is, um, mm -hmm. yeah, then you're thinking that's an actual injury. Right, because you, you've you've had an acute onset of an injury during a specific uh, movement, um, and then when it comes to that, I, w I would say that it's better to get it assessed or, or just give it a little bit of time and see how the symptoms uh, change uh, over the space of you know that inflammatory process. You know, over the first two to three days to judge the severity of the injury. Uh, when it comes to that, I think that's the the best uh, pathway to go down because you don't want to have the pain there and it's quite intense and you just push through but it's an actual injury and then you make it worse uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to the niggles you know uh, and training pain um, I mean I always like to go with the traffic light system I mean that's um, just an easy way to understand your pain and know what's good pain and what's bad pain um, so you know a green light is is very mild pain during an activity or, or no pain right um, no lingering symptoms after you finish. That's often fine to train through. Um, mm -hmm. 
when you're pushing past that mild bit of pain and you're going into moderate levels of pain, so, I mean, physio, if you've been there, you always know you're asking, what's the score out of 10 on the pain scale, mm-hmm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. If you're in that moderate level of pain, you know, five, six, seven out of 10, uh, that's the kind of pain where you're, you're proceeding with caution, right? So you're trying to understand when is it happening in the lift, uh, can I change the pain? Can I change the intensity of the lift? Can I change uh, the variation of the lift to uh, mm-hmm. reduce the pain down to that green light and, and keep training because, you know, um, maintenance of strength and, and maintaining your movement and, and continuing your training is very important for the recovery of an injury. Uh, so if you're at that proceed with caution, you're trying to change those little things to ensure you can still get get your session done. And if you can't, um, then that's probably a point where you uh, move on to your next exercise and then maybe have it assessed or, or look a little bit deeper into to the injury uh, or the pain. And then a red light is high levels of pain, you know, uh, 8, 9, 10 out of 10, can't do the movement. Um, they're the ones where you're going, okay, well, maybe I should should get that. I should definitely get that that looked at it and see what's going on with that, that injury. Um, obviously, there's... This, it's, uh, traffic light system is good at just breaking it down easy, but there's always variations of yeah. of how you're feeling with the with the injury. Um, but as a starting point, I think it's just quite easy to visualize you know, that system as a way to understand what's good pain and what's not good pain. Because often, if you have a little niggle uh, and you go through your training and you change little parts of it. Um, if it is more level, a moderate level of pain, or you know, if you do train through a little bit of the niggle, um, but you ensure that it's like mild pain and you're fine after you finish, you feel good, you should re- recover. Um, it's the the high levels of pain are the, the ones that you want to be looking at and not training through, uh, for sure. Yeah. So basically. Um what you want to do is find st- strategies to knock that level of uh, of pain down if possible. So if you're doing normal squats and you feel some pain somewhere, you can maybe change that to tempo squats uh, where uh, by nature, even if you're trying to go as heavy as possible uh, for the number of reps you're doing in the tempo squat, if it's, for example, four, four count down, like four, four count eccentric, four count concentric, there is no way you can handle anywhere near the same amount of weight as you would in a normal um, speed that, that, that you yeah. would perform at a normal speed. So that's going to knock the pain probably likely down um, to that green zone, for example. Um, that's that's how you mean it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I think that the whole idea is it's just symptom modification. Like um, before everything, well, a lot of the research in the past has always been blaming a specific structure for an injury, right? So uh, mm. shoulder pain when you're benching, it's a impingement or it's the bursa or, you know, uh, pinning it to a certain structure, um, back pain, it's the disc that's, that's the issue. And they're finding more and more now that, okay, well, maybe that's not the case. Some instances it is, but a lot of the time um, it's not particularly one structure. And the best way to rehab that injury is to change the aggravating factors to modify your symptoms. So, um uh, like you're talking there, the tempo squats or changing uh, one part of, of the lift that's aggravating and then slowly building back into those movements. Um, and I think 
when you have a, a coach or a physio working with you that understands that sport, they know how to break it down the best way. Um, and they can give you different variations because often it, you do need to be a little bit creative um, and you do need to change exercises in the way you probably maybe you're not thinking uh, to get you back moving um, to modify your symptoms and, and eventually build back back in. But um, it, pain pain is so, interesting. It's very it's very yeah. It can be confusing um, sometimes. Sometimes it can be. It can be. And, and going along with that, we just said you know some of the research is suggesting that um, if you feel pain, it's not due to the structure. Um, so then what, what has it shown to be from? So, I mean, it could be a variety of things. So, uh, using powerlifting again, um, if you're getting lower back pain through a movement, uh, you're trying to break mm. it down, you know, is it the bracing? Is that the issue? Um, is it just overloaded? Like, is the training load too high, too many consecutive days, poor recovery, um, poor sleep, are those the things that are influencing your How would your all of those things uh, bring about pain? So if you're not recovering as well um, mm -hmm. and you're not being – if you don't have that ability to train at the normal capacity that you, you would otherwise, um, it can cause pain. I mean, it's it's your body's not coping with the stresses that you're putting on it. Um, and then its response is a pain response or a tightness response. Because uh, it's kind of trying right, to say okay. slow down or, or you know, um, yeah. reassess. It's, it's what, like the happening. nervous system's acute response to this thing that it doesn't like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, right. that makes sense. Okay. Um, so then in, in going with that, uh, what's your view on, um, you know, um, it's been going on for so long and it's still going on. People who get injured, they go see a doctor uh, or even, you know, God forbid, a physio these days that uh, – and that doctor or physio will tell them to stop exercising, stop training. Um, when is it a good time to stop training? Is there ever a good time to stop training? If you do need to stop training, how long for? If you don't need to stop training, what's the other thing that you need to be doing instead? So I think – when you're going to you know, certain GPs or doctors and or health professionals and they're saying to completely rest um, from exercise, um, it obviously it depends on what the injury is. You know, um, say for example, um, acutely like when I dislocated my ankle, right? Well, doing exercise at that point in time is not a good idea because. Uh, the ankle's dislocated, recovering from surgery. You know, you've got that first week or so where um, you're just recovering. You're letting your body recover. So those bigger injuries, you know, um, yes, I think then uh, rest does come into it. Um, but when it comes to uh, training injuries or later down the line, you know, when you're kind of in that subacute phase or you're in you're experiencing an injury that's not as severe as that, complete rest is is bad because um, you just end up being deconditioned. I think that the best approach that you're wanting to um, go with is, is trying to find out how do you optimally load that structure or that tissue um, to allow it to still work, not uh, weaken, um, to heal. Um, 
but not so much that you overload it and then you make it worse and you don't underload it and then you know you just become become weaker um, so when it when it comes to the doctors or other health professionals staying to saying to um to rest from any any type of exercise it, yeah, it does come down to what is it um, and then if it is an injury that you can train through um, then understanding the sport that they're in um, becomes vital uh, so you can understand okay well how do we cross train if we can't do the specific uh, movement pattern um, so for example with field sports um, if they do have a, a shoulder injury okay well maybe uh, going into a lot of contact work for rugby league um, where they're quite sore isn't advisable, right? Or going into um, heavy lifting or, or um, big uh, passing movements. Um, you want to stay away from, but you can still keep them moving and keep them fit. Like they can still run, they can still cross train, they can um, on the rower or, or modify their training to make sure that they're still moving but not going into that aggravating movement. And then you're just trying to figure out, okay, well, what's the injury? What is the expected time to recovery? Because different injuries take different times uh, to recover. Um, and working backwards from what the expected recovery time is and how can you keep them moving and then build back up into their chosen sport, um, covering all the things that they need to do in that sport over that period of time of recovery. Um, so for a hamstring injury, uh, if it takes four weeks to recover from a, a grade two hamstring strain, uh, you're figuring out, okay, well, it's going to take four weeks and they need to be doing full sprints, uh, training with the team, uh, going into contact before they go back into, into play and then breaking down from there. Okay. Well, when it's really bad at the start, well, maybe running is not advisable, but how do we keep the hamstring working? Well, let's look at isometrics, uh, gentle eccentrics, walking, um, sometimes bike, uh, different variations to make sure they're fit. And then from there, slowly going into running and then building up into sprinting and change direction. So it's really, you just need to figure out what the injury is, keep them moving and slowly build back up into it. Uh, but definitely, yeah, I know a lot of times like you, you have a, someone come in and they've gone to see someone and they're saying, you know, you should rest or, you know, they put a boot on an ankle that's been sprained and the boot's been on there for a few weeks. You go, yeah, it's not the greatest management plan or, you know, cortisone injection and rest straight away instead of trying to strengthen up the area or improve movement. That strategy just, yeah, yeah especially it's not the, the greatest. cortisone shots, man. It's it's it, it seems to be getting more and more prevalent. We it's just uh, as soon as somebody goes and sees uh, a physio or something like that, or a doctor like a GP, they're just uh, the first thing is just just get an injection, just cortisone, um, and a lot of times it's not even it's not needed, it's not called for, uh, and even further to that, uh, through the years. Um, a good handful of people, um, I'm not going to say a lot of people, but a good handful of people have, have come through that they had real severe um, back problems, like lumbar problems. Uh, they, oh. they had uh, herniated discs or whatever. And um, they'd gone to the specialists and, and doctors and they had 
just immediately recommended surgery yeah and uh but they sort of had this instinct within them that told them it's probably not the best thing to do without exhausting other options. And after beginning a, a well-thought-out training program and just being patient with it and just applying themselves, they've just gone back to normal health, like proper function. They're, they're back to training. They're back to just their normal everyday lives. You know, as long as they train, they don't get any pain. Their, their back is nice and healthy. And, uh, and, you know, all of them are like, thank you so much for um, convincing me to, to not do it, to stick to an exercise program just and, and get the musculature stronger and just really work on it. Um, because, you know, if I had done the surgery, I know I would have been much worse off. And, uh, yeah, there just seems to be this thing where people are just encouraged to go under the knife. Are you finding yeah. a lot of the same thing? It depends on the specialist or the doctor, really. I mean, I know sometimes you get under that um, thought that, you know, if you're the person holding the hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So mm. surgeon sees an injury and they go, well, I can operate on that and fix it. And a, a physio says, okay, well, there's this injury. We can uh, – strengthen it uh strength goes the same you know you have this injury we can try and strengthen it and the doctor you know has their you know anti-inflammatories or like each professional will go to their what they find being most successful for them um and i think yeah it, it's not the greatest management strategy you know if you're a first line health professional so a, a doctor or a physio um, you should be understanding that the, each injury is different and not every person is going to react the same same way. Um, and then going to invasive procedures like surgery or cortisone injections or going into heavy anti-inflammatory straight after a, an injury isn't mm -hmm. the, the best management strategy. So understanding which doctors or which specialists aren't like that is important. I think as a physio anyway, because you you know that it's going to be an honest opinion based off how they're presenting and they're not going to be the kind of person that goes, okay, well, we're going to operate straight away. Um, I find so the surgeons are, surgeons are getting are better. Uh, they won't mm. operate straight away, um, especially if they haven't done any sort of uh, conservative management, physiotherapy or some sort of uh, exercise plan um, that's – structured that would you know uh, improve their strength um, but the yeah that some do go through the system and they like you said like they go straight to the gp which goes straight to get an mri and then from the mri straight to the specialist and the specialist is going mm. let's have a surgery and you're like okay well i mean that's such a quick diagnosis um, and then yeah. even then, uh, a lot of the surgeries that were quite popular popular now is coming through again. And the same thing. They're saying, okay, well, maybe they're not as um, successful in the medium to long term as what they once thought um, thought they were. So, yeah, it is – I think it's always going to be like that. I think it's always going to be um, continued education and work between a multidisciplinary team, um, ensuring that, you know, you're not jumping the gun down one way 
versus the other. You know, it's the same as on the other side. Like you know, as a physio, sometimes you think, okay, well, you know, you can fix it. Um, yeah, but but you can't. And but you know, I think if you don't try, you know, assess the injury and 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 use best available evidence to try and uh, improve them. If you if you don't have a go at that, then yeah, you, you're missing out. You, you might end up under the knife. No, I agree. It's just like um, you know, when when uh, personal trainers try and um, same thing, try and fix things themselves when uh, it's outside their scope. That somebody else should be fixing it in their own way. Um, so it's uh, yeah. I mean, both parties are trying to do their best, I guess. And um, ultimately, I think it, it probably comes down to educating the greater public, the, the masses, as to, well, these are, these are the options. These are uh, the things you need to be looking out for. And know that, for example, uh, this particular solution exists where people can recover from significant, uh, for example, lumbar uh, problems, uh, spinal problems, uh, injuries, pain, low back pain, uh, without having to get surgery just need to be just maybe consider giving it a solid crack of of doing a proper guided uh, exercise program written or, or directed by somebody who's uh you know who's got good knowledge um and can guide you and give you feedback preferably a team yeah uh, like a physio and uh and a um a personal trainer or, or strength coach or whatever well, I think that's the key thing that you said there. Like, it, it's got to be the the end. The goal is a, a, a graded, guided exercise program from your physio or from your physio and SNC coach or whatever team you have around you. Because you can also go to a physio or a, a health professional, and then they just stick some needles in you and and massage, and that's their treatment. And well, that's not going to fix it, right? In the long term. Uh, you know, it's like you're trying to mop up the water underneath a running tap, right? You can't just keep needling something and expecting it to get better. Uh, you got to shut the tap off. You got to fix whatever the issue is with a graded exercise program targeted at whatever the issue is. So there's that thing too. You know, you could go to a, a not so good health professional, and then you have a very poor rehab plan, and then it doesn't work, and then then you get a surgery, but really the rehab plan was, wasn't great to start with. <laughs> yeah. Um, something that you just touched on right now is actually a very good point, and it's something I want you to go into uh, for those people listening who are, um, you know, recreational exercise and, and, and strength training enthusiasts. But mm. and, and so for no doubt they've either been to a physio at least once, since they started training seriously, or they will be sooner or later. What is the problem? Why is it an issue when a f when you go to a physio and they just do some dry needling and send you on the way, or give you a bit of a uh, deep tissue massage, or, or stick a tens machine on you, walk away, and and when that's done, they go, "You're done. Uh, make sure you book yeah. me in again for next week." <laughs> And, and on and on it goes for four, six, eight, 10, 12 weeks like that. Yeah. Can you let us know, can you enlighten us as to what, why that is the problem uh, in terms of how the body responds to 
rehabilitation and what should have what should be done instead well, i mean um, just the 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 research that, that is being brought out i mean even uh, the australian physiotherapy association uh, makes it very clear to educate people you know if you're just going to a clinic and they're slapping a tens machine on you or massaging and heat and dry needling and that's all they do for a prolonged period of time. Like you go in there for five weeks straight and it's just the same thing. Um, those don't improve your outcome. You might get some temporary relief, uh, but uh, at the end of the day, you just end up being exactly the same. So they're not providing you with the best available treatment that there is. Uh, and you just get stuck in a loop because you're not really ever improving that much. Maybe natural recovery you improve, but whatever they did didn't really help that much if that's all they were doing for you know one to two months um so when you're what you're looking for when you're when you're going to a physio is you know yes it's okay if they use those kind of things but it's not the entire treatment it's an adjunct to the treatment so you're you're going through and you have your injury assessed and and you know they're taking time to educate you on on what it is um they're taking time to um sort of understand what your goals are um and and what your the end result is for you so they know where they need to get you back to uh and then um, using best available evidence which is most of the time movement some sort of movement um whether it's movement for symptom um reduction or it's movement to improve strength or, or flexibility it's some sort of movement and then the the cherry on top is okay well let's release through here let's dry needle through here because it it can provide that relief to allow you to do the exercise like that's the whole reason um, you can't stick a needle in something and turn the muscle off or you can't massage something and and like a permanently changes tightness it's very temp temporary um you and it's it's been shown in all the evidence like getting your back cracked um, temporary change but long term doesn't really change your symptoms or change your function it's always going to be about trying to figure out what the root cause of the issue is and then addressing it with some sort of exercise rehab um, but yeah, if you if you find that you know you, you're recovering from an injury at the moment and you're going to a clinic where they don't take the time to educate you or tell you the reasoning behind the treatment and give you a guideline and say you know understand what your goals are and work towards your goals and using best available evidence to get you there and exercise. If you're not if you're not getting that service and uh, and you're just getting uh, massage and dry needled and they're just very vague and saying come back in a week then it's yeah i think that it's very poor on whoever's doing that treatment mm. um, yeah, and unfortunately it's happening right um and you don't know better either like they don't the yeah, exactly that's the, the thing person yeah. doesn't know they just mm. i mean you have this trust and then exactly they don't understand that that's not that's not right and then you know they don't get better or they just go through the loop and they use it they mm. spend all this money for 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 nothing like they they don't get better or they get better it's but it's crazy, not what, what they did it's just they just got better 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the body's normal um, recovery response over time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe sped up through some of the heat or massage or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, so so much money can be wasted by um, by these methods because because the, you these people are going for uh, and you know when I was. Um, Younger in, in the earlier days, even before powerlifting, when I was just playing more sports on a regular basis, mm. where I would go to a physio, I didn't know any better back then because I was in like you know late high school, early university, or whatever. Uh, same thing, same thing with me. Um, I would just go in and and it would be you know session after session of just heat. I remember just heat and just a, like a tens machine just get stuck yeah. on and and then at the end. Um, yeah, just book us again for next week, and it would go on for you know six, eight weeks, ten weeks, yeah. and uh, yeah, I mean, eventually you get better if you if you are you know stimulating something and and sort of laying off it a little bit, but you're yeah, also getting so, deconditioned. Yeah, which is you know all the uh, stuff we were talking about before, right? It's like yeah, you know, trying to still keep moving and and load it. Eventually, over time, you, you know the injury recovers, so that the tissue remodels or um, the pain responses go on, and you can become stronger. But you know that it does happen naturally, anyway. The physio mm -hmm. or the strength coach is trying to get you there quicker, so they're trying to guide you to that point quicker by using whatever sort of treatment strategy that that they find for your injury to reduce your symptoms, mm -hmm. and get you moving. Um, but yeah, I think you, if you if you're going to somewhere and, and that's just the the treatment that they're doing, um, it's it's not great. But I think as a as a health professional or a strength coach, I think also understanding um, that people that you treat don't understand as much as you. I know I do sometimes. Mm. I just sort of explain stuff and then I expect that they understand what I'm saying, but like you said there, like you were training a lot and you went and you got treated, but you, you know, heat and tens and you didn't really understand. And you're someone that was fit and was exercising, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like you forget as a health professional how much someone might not know and the importance of educating them so they do know. If they understand their own injury, it's going to help the rehab in general because they understand what's going on. They understand what the pain is. They understand the recovery process. They know the expectation of how long it's going to take and what the process or the journey is going to be like. Um, it, yeah, it, it's um, mm. it's important. It's yeah. important to sort of understand because I know I forget. I definitely forget sometimes. I'm like, oh, wait, wait. I've got to <laughs> break it down a little bit more. Yeah, and you know, like you said before, these people are coming to you, putting their trust in you as a, as a physiotherapist, as any health professional, um, and sometimes that can be taken for granted or like you know become very normal to us, mm. normal to the point that we don't even notice it, you know. But they they're coming with a real problem, uh, and in the case of physiotherapists, like actual physical pain, which they want us to or you guys to take care of mm. and uh yeah they, they can sometimes some health professionals forget that and uh don't pay enough enough attention enough respect to that um 
something you posted the other day uh, by the way everybody listen to this make sure you you follow um tom's instagram uh, physioquest underscore uh i'll put the link in the descriptions and stuff Thank like that you. so you guys can get to it um you you put up a post um i think it was earlier today that said uh, something like uh, if a muscle always feels uh, feels tight it may be the result of being weak or overworked uh, stretching uh, is not always the answer can you go into that one for us that's an interesting one i like that one yeah so i think that stretching is definitely really overused um you know, if you find, you know, as an athlete or anyone, you know, you have a particular muscle that's always tight. Um, you stretch it all the time. I mean, it doesn't get better. It just ends up tight again and again and again. And you can't do anything to change it. Most of the time, it's not really a flexibility issue or a tightness issue that's that's causing you the discomfort that you're experiencing. It's more so weakness or, or poor movement. So, you know, if you're... If you imagine uh, you got your your left leg and your right leg, you know one's filled up halfway with with fuel, right? The other one's filled all the way up. If you're doing the same amount of work, eventually the, the one that works at half the capacity of the other is just going to run out of fuel. Much like uh, muscles running out of energy, then something's going to tighten up because it can't handle uh, what you're doing anymore, and and then then you get the tightness response, right? So um, it's like a uh, reaction to, to fatigue or a reaction to not having the same resilience as, as the other side. You know, that's one part. The other part is, you know, what are you doing each day? You know, is the movement that you're doing the issue? Like a, are you overactive on one side than the other when you go into a certain movement pattern? Do you stay in a certain uh, position for a prolonged period of time, you know, outside of training? I think often the issue isn't training. It's like, what are you doing for the other 14 to 16 hours of your day when you're awake? Like you're only in the gym for a certain period of time. Do you sit down all day? And, and that's why you know, your hip flexors are, are tight um, uh, or, you know, your hamstrings get tight because, you know, they're always in this lengthened position for the whole entire day and then you go and train and you wonder why they're, they're always feeling you know, pretty pretty rubbish when you're training so just understanding what what movement patterns or what positions are you going into day to day may be influencing that tightness that you're feeling um, yeah because i mean uh, stretching is becoming less and less of a thing you use it sometimes um, but often you're using it to get a temporary change in movement to allow them to do something else, right? So, um, you know, you're trying to do some sort of, say, uh, eccentric hamstring work to try and improve a bit of hamstring flexibility, uh, like an RDL. But then, you know, you're doing the movement that they're finding restricted after to try and help bolster or boost up that strength. Um, it's more of that kind of stra uh, treatment strategy than purely tightening. Um, and stretching, especially with it as well with not just barbell athletes, but even field athletes, like having tight hamstring, you know, um, you're definitely as a strength coach or as a physio, you're definitely pa paying attention to that. If an athlete comes in and they say, 
that my hamstring is tight, uh, you're not wanting to ignore that because, you know, that does correlate with a higher chance of injury, right? Um, yeah. Mm. But why? Weak hamstring, is it training load? Is it uh, running mechanics? Is it, um, yeah, what are you doing for the rest of the day? Is it your recovery? Is it your sleep? Like, or it all kind of crosses over, like physiotherapy and strength and conditioning, it ends up crossing over. You're kind of looking at the same things, but I think the physio is seeing it earlier in phase, whereas the strength coach is seeing it in the later phase. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that all makes sense, perfect sense. How would you go about determining and identifying um, what it actually is? Like if, if it's um, if it's a, a weakness in something or if it's that that particular muscle is being overworked. Well, I guess the overworked part is, is kind of easy to figure out because you just have mm. a look at the workload. Mm. If the workload has suddenly increased, like the amount of volume they're doing, in, in training uh, suddenly especially for that muscle group then there's tightness there uh, so you know that maybe you got to pull back right um, but how do you know if it's if it's a result of weakness could it be the result of weakness of other surrounding muscles um, definitely yeah so that's what you have to figure so, out as, as a physio right yeah, you're going yeah, okay well, well I guess that's, that's your job right <laughs> yeah so I mean like you said, you're getting an idea of their training load. Uh, any big spikes in training uh, load? Have they been underactive for a while and they're getting back into it again? Um, that's probably the first thing that you're looking at. Uh, then you're just getting like a thorough idea of um, a thorough idea through the subjective assessment as to what movements are aggravating or what movements cause tightness or discomfort. So you know that you need to look at that. Because you're trying to break down that movement pattern. Like if it's particularly in a squat that they get some sort of symptom or tightness, you want to look and see, okay, well, what does this movement look like? Um, are they bracing poorly? Uh, do they put more load onto one side versus the other? Um, are they, does it seem like when they go into a deadlift, like that they're really, really hamstring dominant? They, they seem to rely heaps and heaps on the hamstring. Uh, so looking at that movement pattern, breaking it down and seeing is this possible reason and then you know adjusting whatever you find if it's a movement thing like a technique thing changing that seeing if there's a difference um, and then just doing your standard manual muscle testing so if you think that the, the, the left hamstring is weaker than the right hamstring um, you can do just like a hand dynamometry testing um, so most clinics now, because they're getting cheaper, um, do have a, a dynamometer where you can test the kilos of force that someone produces with a certain muscle group, um, different degrees of movement you want to test as well. You can do it to fatigue, you can do it for a long period of time. Um, you can also look at just muscle fatigue of a specific muscle group and see is there a dramatic difference between sides. Sometimes through that as well, you can see what seems to be compensating. Like, okay, well, you're testing um, you're testing the hamstring um, to try and get the fatigue and they go, I can't feel my hamstring, I just feel my glute. Or, you know, you find like they're all over the shop with their upper body, like there's no control. Um, so that's how you're sort of going about trying to figure out is that is that the issue, you know, 
is the training load, is it the weakness, and you, you go through and you assess each part um, individually and then all together. Because if you just look at it individually, then I think you also miss out on a fair bit. So you've got to look at it separate and then together. Um, maybe not all in one session, but definitely that's the process that you would go through. Um, what do you what do you f uh, see? Uh, what would you say the like the top three most common things, uh, most common uh, injuries or problems that uh, lifters come to you for? Um, for so, for example, like uh, knee tendinopathy, or is mm. it uh, you know elbows or, or what have you? Uh, what what are the the top three most common things? It would uh, be it would be hip pain, uh, anterior hip pain for sure. Like especially at the bottom of the squat, just getting that front of hip pain. Um, yep. Anterior shoulder pain, uh, front of the shoulder, usually benching or overhead work, um, and then lower back. I'd say they're the top three for sure. You do get some tendon issues like in the elbow, like you said, or you know, your patella tendon is mm. flaring up. But because power, powerlifting uh, isn't as – it's not – contrary to the name of powerlifting, it's more strength, mm. right? You're not actually moving mm. the bar that far. So in training, different exercises you might do, assist, uh, accessory exercises, etc., or you might have some power work in there, you will. But essentially, it's not. A, a sport where you're moving the bar fast so you don't seem to see as many tendon issues because you're not utilizing that stretch shortening cycle you're not as explosive it's not as jumpy um, as something like running or sprinting etc um, you do see them but it seems to be more so like loading into a position that they're not that strong in or they have a restriction to their movement in um and then they're getting some sort of pain. Yeah, so that's that's in the, in the cases of uh, tendinopathies and, and things like that. But going going to um, the three examples that you just mentioned here. So we're going to do something for the listeners here and and, and actually uh, uh, help them out. So okay, let's do it. Uh, I want you to give us a rundown of. Each of those three, like why is it happening in the first place? So what what are the bad habits that um, lifters out there have, the things that they're doing wrong that's causing these things in the first place? Uh, obviously, I understand it can be different case to case, but the most common, the middle of the bell curve sort of thing. And then what is it? What is the, the, the quote-unquote first aid things they can do to address it and maybe make it go away. And then if it doesn't go away, obviously they have to come see somebody such as yourself to make it go away properly once and for all. So uh, start with the anterior hip pain. So uh, I assume you mean something like a, like a um, hip impingement, correct? Yes. You, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So why is it happening in the first place in a majority of the cases? So I find the majority of the time there's either – there's a restriction in, in the joint, whether it is the actual hip that's the issue, um, mm -hmm. or through ankle range of motion as well, being quite stiff and then forcing them to bend more through the hip and putting more load through the hip, um, or being a little bit stiffer and tighter up through the top, like through their thoracic spine. So above and below, really, um, right. causing them to put 
more load in through the through the hip. Most of the time, it's it's the hip, and it's just that loss of hip flexion, or you know, when you go into the deep you know, deep squat, you know, getting that ability to actually sit into the squat. One side is a little bit stiffer than the other, so that when you go down into that position, you don't have the range of motion there to actually do it, and then something in the hip pinches, right? Impingement can be a whole, uh, many things, right? It can be muscular impingement. It can be the actual joint that's impinging. Um, you can't really accurately say what is actually impinging, but there's some sort of impingement, right? Um, and it's often secondary to poor movement uh, or loss of movement. So if we start at the hip, trying to assess what is your hip range of motion like, um, and then what is your ankle range of motion like? So uh, easy ankle range of motion one, you put your foot in front of the wall, keep your heel down and try and touch your knee towards the wall and see if there is a big difference with how far you can bring your foot away from the uh, the wall versus the other. If there is a big difference on the painful side versus the non-painful side, then trying to get some sort of movement back in that ankle into that direction. Uh, just like uh, easy, just literally repeat the test over and over again and, and push your knee over your toe um, to try and get back that lost movement and seeing if that affects your pain. That's probably the first thing that you can look at. Um, and then with the, the hip, I'd probably say like a, an easy one to go to is uh, checking how uh, how far can you bring your knee up towards your chest, lying on your back, um, left versus right. If you do feel like there is a big difference there or there's pain there, uh, then you know that the, the restriction or the issue is in the hip. That becomes a little bit harder in terms of uh, trying to give specific exercise to. I probably find that the the culprit is something in the posterior chain. So like the glute or the hamstring is tight um, and it's stopping your hip from being able to bend into that flex position. So trying to work on uh so say like uh with your with your hamstring maybe doing something like uh, eccentric rdls or even using stretching even though we just bash stretching for a little bit but to stretch the actual hamstring or the glute and see if you get a pain a, a response in your in your movement because if you stretch the muscle and you get a temporary change and your movement gets better then it's telling us that, okay, well, this muscle might be the issue. Um, then how do we how do we treat it? Do we have to make it stronger? Um, is it just more of a, a strengthening through the front instead, like a really trying to delve into what it is? Um, but that's how you would assess the front of the hip. It is difficult. The front of the hip is probably the most difficult one, I would say, because it's mm. kind of like the rotator cuff of the sh- – it's like your shoulder, right? They're so dynamic, the movement. There's so many muscles that contribute to it. Um, mm, mm, mm. Yeah. the breaking down one is a bit harder when it comes to the lower back uh, I find that it's often the uh, athlete or the individual has loss of extension in their lumbar spine um, mm. because deadlifting squatting is so much bending forward day to day in general sitting forward you're doing exercise that's so um, anterior dominant, you're using so much quad and hip flexor that you lose a lot of lumbar extension. And then 
the loss of the lumbar extension can lead to to your symptoms, especially if you're feeling the pain in those flex positions through your spine. So, I mean, um, there's a plenty of, of um, research on it, but uh, often if that's the case, like you know, the, the athlete will respond like a, and reduce their pain with just doing some sort of extension work for their lumbar spine, like a cobra stretch or just propping on their elbows and doing some deep breathing and trying to recover the loss of extension in their lower back. Um, also, mm-hmm. you know, stretching in through their hip flexors as well. Um, trying to temporarily reduce some sort of uh, te- trying to temporarily reduce um, tension on the area to allow them to go through the movement, um, and then if the stretching helps, and you're thinking, okay, well, do I need to strengthen up my hip flexors um, in the long term? Uh, yeah, but yeah, probably the lumbar the lumbar extension is probably the the biggest thing to look at, I would say. Okay. And then when it come when it comes to the shoulder. Um, it's it's a uh, much much like the the hip. I find with the shoulder, it's either poor. So for lifting, say for powerlifting, and you're getting shoulder pain through the bench, um, it's poor setting, scapular setting in through your um, uh, up top before you bench, and then losing that scapular positioning uh, as you're going through the movement, um, and then you know actually having you know your lat strength and having your mm. mid trap and your rhomboid strength and your lower trap strength actually hold that position really well as you go through uh, you know if your rotator cuff muscles and your shoulder blade stabilizers aren't great at stabilizing as soon as you go heavy the shoulder is going to take a bit a uh, bit of mm. more of that load because the anchor system is not that great so trying to set and strengthen um, that would be the, the starting yeah. point with the shoulder i'd say um that one actually reminds me of a post that I saw by um, uh, Dr. Andrew Locke. You know Andrew, right? Um, no, I don't. From uh, from Melbourne. Uh, really um, knowledgeable uh, physiotherapist uh, out at um, in in Melbourne, out of Victoria. Uh, he he put up a video. Um, I don't know if it was today or yesterday. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this, uh, because <laughs> my anatomy, uh, name, name of the nerves and that doesn't, doesn't, hasn't stuck with me well since the uni days. So basically in a nutshell, this is what he was saying. Um, so the infraspinatus, so sometimes people get, uh, pain, they come, they come and report pain in the, f- underneath the front delt, right? Yep. They say my bicep tendon or my bicep, or usually they say my bicep tendon is, yeah. I feel pain yeah and he said um he says in the video um that the infraspinatus is innervated by the same root nerve uh, that um, also supplies the biceps uh, so sometimes when there's a dysfunction in the infraspinatus we feel the, uh, the brain basically for lack of a better term confuses it and because it's the same uh uh innovation from the same root nerve right from the same root nerve uh the innovation of the uh, infraspinatus is the same as uh, the one that supplies the biceps uh the brain in essence for lack of a better term confuses it and we get the pain in the bicep underneath the anterior delt 
Whereas we actually have issues with the infraspinatus, which also actually probably stems from a lack of ability to control the scapula because of uh, weak mid and lower traps, as well as weak rhomboids. Um, so that was a really interesting one because uh, I'd never thought about it that way before and I'd never heard, heard it explained that way before. It makes sense. Um, however, I have yet to put that into, into practice and uh, because I know for a fact I've, I've got a serious rotator cuff issues um, yeah. from the past. Like my, Both my um, shoulder labrums are almost completely torn and um, I've had issues for a long time, rhomboid um, uh, weakness, uh, lower trap weakness. And uh, it's actually carried over to my um, pressing performance across the board. So bench press, overhead press, and so on. Uh, I've, I've just had to um, force myself to get globally strong around the shoulder girdle to be able to um, do anything um, like half decent. But uh, that was a really interesting one. Um, I don't know if you if you have come across anything like that or um, well, I mean, it makes sense to you. Like, um, yeah, I mean, it, like it, there's so many. You know, you, you have your your spine and all the nerves, you know, coming out through your spine, and they innovate down the chain, right? Um, mm. So, an issue in one area of a nerve isn't just going to present pain where that issue is. It can be any part down that that track. And I think that's when pain becomes confusing as well because you might be feeling primary shoulder pain. Like that is where my pain is, but the issue is not actually the front of the shoulder. It's like you said, is the infraspinatus. Um, you're mm -hmm. feeling pain in the back of your shoulder or uh, and the issue is not actually the back of the shoulder, it's your neck. Uh, that's a big one. Like mm. having symptoms, you know, away from the spine and actually being a spinal problem. Um yeah, like uh, I think that's why you know having that understanding and having that assessment with your health professional of something that's not improving, you know, is vital because it, it can be confusing, and you can strengthen up. Say you have like a you have you know, your glute pain. You've had glute pain for ages, powerlifting, and um, you've done everything. You've you've strengthened your piriformis and your glute med and you've strengthened your glute max and you've done your mobility stuff and it's just not getting better, but it's a lower back issue. You know, it, mm -hmm. that's when things become confusing. Yeah. It's good to have someone to have, yeah. to have a look at it. But yes, definitely um, that makes sense what you said before for sure. All right, man. Well, it's a, it's a, um, you can go down plenty of rabbit holes with yes. uh, this stuff. You can talk about it forever. Uh, but uh, plenty of good content there, some good insights. Uh, uh, just let everybody know where they can find you if they want to find out more information and possibly even come and see you. Uh, where can they hit you up? So um, my Instagram, like you mentioned at the start, uh, physioquest underscore. Um, so you can just shoot me a message through there if you have any questions um, or hit a follow. Like I'm usually posting some sort of content through the week. Depends how organized I am. Um, and then my Facebook, well, I have to actually check. I think it is literally just search PhysioQuest and I should come up there as well. So you can give us a follow through there. And if you have any questions, you can shoot a message through there um, to try and get in contact with me. 
Perfect. I think everybody should uh, because he puts out he puts out stuff on a regular basis, and uh, he loves what he does. And uh, he's somebody who, as a as a physiotherapist, is um, somebody who is actively involved in in strength sports as well as combat sports. So he understands the body. He understands the value of not telling you to quote unquote just rest and uh, and let recovery or figure out a way for you to get back on the field or on the mat or on the platform ASAP uh, in a safe and efficient way and uh, try and get you back on. Tom, thanks a lot for coming on, mate. Uh, that's some Thank you, uh, sir. really good information there and uh, some really good insights. Cheers. It was a pleasure. Thank you. So there you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed that one. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and rate and share the podcast so we can get it out there as quickly as possible to as many people as possible. Any feedback is always appreciated. Send it through to Amir at adonisathletics.com.au or you can add me on Instagram, the underscore sport performance coach. And looking forward to catching you guys on the next episode.